Merry Christmas or something. This is such a great season. I remember as, an, as a uh, pastor, ripe old age of 21, I was what was then called pastor. Uh, later came to be known as senior pastor. After that, it was lead pastor. I guess when there's just one of you on staff, it could be just, hey, you. But, but at any rate, um, I, was, I was the preacher. I taught a Sunday school class and preached Sunday morning, preached Sunday night and Wednesday night, and um, was the youth pastor. I could put pretty much the whole youth group in my car. Now, we, we loaded them up in those years, and it kind of sat on each other, but we, we would go to these youth gatherings, and I'd, I'd just take them all, and we'd just sit on, on top of each other. I used to get uh, an award for points for something. I don't remember what all. I know distance traveled was one of the ways you got points, and in northern Arizona, if you live kind of over on one side and go to the other side, you're probably going to win that thing because we went a couple of times to a, a rally 220 miles one way. So, um, you know, that's the out west. You, you just travel further. That's kind of the way you think of it. But um, as uh, I got into that, um, you, you have to understand how holy I am. And just always have been, just amazing. So when I became aware of all of the commercialization, that first Christmas, when you're, when you're traveling, you can sort of bypass that stuff. But when you, you're in the same place, you preach to the same people, you go to the same stores, you get the same ads. And in, this was 1960, commercialization was just over the top, we thought. We didn't have a clue, but... Uh, but it was over the top compared to what it had been, and so I just got all bent out of shape, and I was just, oh, just the commercialization. And that's not the spirit of Christmas. And finally, the obvious thing, the sun arose, you know. It's like, dummy, why don't you enjoy this season? Everyone is talking about it. They're paying big money to talk about it. Let them talk about it and just lift up Jesus. And so we've tried to do that through the years. And, and uh, I, I remember when we first came into to this congregation a number of years ago, um, there was some of this resistance to commercialization, you know, and it's just like, you know, because I'm not the only holy one. You know, others among us are holy too, really, really holy. And... Um, so they were doing this, so I would write my little column uh, for the mailer that we sent out in those days about keeping the spirit of Christmas and that sort of thing. And that's really good, good advice, a good sermon, whatever you want to call it. Now, when we come to today and compare uh, how the holiday and that special day to us in Jesus Christ, how that is treated as compared to the way it was in 1960 or even in the mid-70s. Today is more. Uh, the name of the, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, that's not when you wear black armbands. That's when, the, that's when the commercial people celebrate. They hope that today they turn enough profit that operating in the black all year, but this will 
I mean, in the red all year, this will get them into the black. That's what Black Friday is about. You knew that. I read uh, a comment the other day about, by a business consultant. He says, you know, if you're doing that in your business, you really need to rethink your business plan so you can make a profit all year. And I yeah, that's good. But don't let anything mess up the spirit of Jesus Christ having come to this world. Just don't let anything mess that up. It's not worth it. It's false. The stuff that comes against that will pass away. Don't pass away with it. You know, because you can, you can pass away with it if you're just married to it like this, or you can pass away with it if you are opposing it that, so to the extent that you're tied to it. And that's part of who you are. Now, that was sermon number one. It's free. I hope you pay for this next one. Galatians, the fourth chapter says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The fullness of time has a, it, it, it has this feel like someone is reaching around us and kind of, you know, just making it complete. It's the fullness of time. It was like, you remember some of you really, really wanted to be a legal driver. And so at, at uh, when, if the state where you got your license, the law was age 16, if you're like my daughters or like myself, um, Pam was out of school on her birthday, when, the day she was 16, so at 8 a.m. I had her down at the license bureau, you know, and we we're opening the place up, and she's getting her license. Christy's birthday, 16th birthday, fell in midweek in the school year, and so she made me promise to come and get her and take her out of school at noon. She could do a half day, but not a whole day. And so, you know, that it's like, I am finally 16. Now, it turns out that being able to drive is a mixed blessing. But when Jesus came in the fullness of time, there was no negative mixture about that. And I want to pull up a couple of things about that. This fullness of time has to do with God, the sovereign God. Now, when I, when I make this motion, please see this as God working in the nations, God sovereign, making things happen according to his will. We're down here. I'm going to be making no motions down here later. Up here, this is God doing it. The fullness of time, God sent forth his son. It was all set up. When Jesus got here, he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. So, God manages here. Then, we need to, uh, well, let me just read you this from the sermon that Paul preached uh, in Athens at the Areopagus. I have been there. That's just right in the shadow of the Pantheon. Uh, 
You, you have a picture of this, uh, this beautiful Greek architecture there in Athens. The ruins are still there, and they're still magnificent, even though they're ruins. And in the middle of this sermon, which was to kind of a, oh, it was a glorified city council and social management committee, and, and they had religious influence and political influence, and so uh, they met on a rock that sticks up there not that far from the front of, of this other uh, hill where the Pantheon is constructed. And so Paul is now here, and he's been kind of called on the carpet because uh, it was illegal to introduce a new religion. So he, he reaches over and gets something out of their superstition uh, just in case they had missed one of the gods of the Pantheon. Um, in case they had missed one, they had, this, they had this altar that said to an unknown God. Uh, you know, just cover your bases, just, you know, just in case, just in case there's one we've missed. So he pulls that out and makes legitimate then what he is about to say because he could get in trouble. But in Acts the 17th chapter, in the middle of that sermon, he's speaking about God and he says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. I heard a guy one time that was uh, a wonderful godly man, but he, he had spent his time working with the Arabic peoples and had picked up their anti-Semitism toward Israel. I'm not, I don't think he was an anti-Semite to the Jewish people in general, but he was, he was not a Zionist. And he thought the Holy Spirit had spoken to him and said, God's not in the real estate business. And he was just all excited about that. And it's like, it just kind of stabbed me because, did you hear what this says? He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. God's in the real estate business. You think uh, that uh, it was inappropriate for the Europeans to come to North America and establish a nation. I uh, need to read that verse again. Now, if you're, if you're Native American, I'm not suggesting that you've been treated well and that everything that, that the non-Natives did to you was fine. It was not fine at all. It was awful. It's horrendous. We studied about that in Oklahoma history. That's part of what you study in Oklahoma history, and that's where I grew up. So we had U.S. history and world history and state history. However, look beyond the sins of the white man, if you will, to what God was doing. He was setting boundaries. You say, oh, no, it's too bad. It couldn't have been God. Don't argue with the Scripture. You're just not that cool. If you hear me arguing with the Scripture, ignore what I'm saying on that point. Okay? Don't argue with the Scripture. It's not going to change. You can rant and rave all you want to. It's going to stay the, stay the same, and it'll say the next, same thing that next time you open the book. That's kind of comforting on the one hand. Uh, cuts us off at the knees if we're, if we're in rebellion against the Lord. He determined their seat. This is God. This is, this is the... Sovereignty of God up here. Sovereignty of God. Now, there are, 
there are theological systems that take that sovereignty all the way down to the ground and includes the earth, all humankind, all of our decisions are predetermined and we can't help it. And if you're predestined to be saved, you're going to be saved. And if you're not, no matter what you do, you're going to be lost. But that's just not taught in scripture. That is never, ever taught like that in scripture. It's just not there. So we have God up here determining the pre-appointed times, the boundaries of the dwellings of mankind. Then we have God speaking about our thing down here and giving us the assignment. When he made us, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and all over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is our job down here. We have the responsibility. You knew that. You knew that, didn't you? Well, so much for teaching you something new. But I wanted to just make it starkly clear that God is sovereign. He can wind up the, the affairs of the nations. He can wind up the end times like he, and we'll get to this in a minute, like he set up the birth of Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. He set that all up on his own. But there's a whole lot of stuff going on down here that belongs to us. Now, one, one school of thought, and I, I sort of lean this way, is Jesus said, whoever it is you obey, you're his servants or you're his slaves. Okay? So when we obeyed Satan and sinned, then he got to be the prince of the power of the air. That's under what God does. And so Jesus said in the end of John chapter 14, the prince of this world is coming, but he doesn't have anything in me. He has no hold on me, I think is the NIV. Nothing in me, okay? So we're dealing here with screwed up humankind and Satan himself in the face of this earth. Jesus came and demonstrated mankind's authority over the earth because he had no sin. He did not have a sin nature. He was not conceived in sin. The Holy Spirit made his mother pregnant with him by a sovereign act, did not in involve sexual intercourse. So, here is Jesus showing up at least as pure as, in, in the human part of him, he was as pure as Adam. He was the last uh, Adam, the last man that, that we need to look at because we see him going around and he was taking charge of nature. He rebuked a storm and he didn't bind the devil, he rebuked the storm. And I don't know exactly what that means. I, I've tried that a few times with mixed success. <laughs> um, you do it often enough, one of them will... No, I'm... Anyway, and he walked on water, and you can't do that, except you can if you're in charge of this. Think about it. Stay with me, because this is important, because Jesus came to do stuff, and... Uh, I think more stuff than we are willing sometimes to admit. 
Let me read this again. Let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, if you're wondering how, and you see people that God says he hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and that just freaks out people that, that think they've sinned against um, the Holy Ghost. You've never heard me say that word before, have you? Anyway, Holy Spirit. But it's, it's, it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And the um, I've, I've dealt with a few through the years that just didn't have any faith that they could be saved because they weren't supposed to be saved. They were, they were predestined to go to hell. And they bring up Pharaoh and they bring up Judas. So there. Well, that that's really, really scary. Unless you read the book. So let's go back to the book and find in first Peter the first chapter, the first verse, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims. Of the dispersion, that the scattering of the Jewish people in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, that means predestined. That's, that's what that is. That's the word that in, in the original language that means <clears throat> elected, chosen, according to the foreknowledge <clears throat> of God, which is to say, since you know, you, you have my little capsule thing here that this is time in here where God is outside time so he can see the end from the beginning or anywhere in here. He knows the choices you're going to make. He knew that Pharaoh was in the middle of building a monument to him. And you know, those Pharaohs, you've seen some of the monuments in in Egypt that those Pharaohs did in memory of themselves. He was in the middle of building one of those and to give up these slaves that were doing the building is not about to happen. You see that? So God knew what Pharaoh was going to do. And the way he hardened his heart was he had the miracles that Aaron did with the staff. Boy, if you haven't read the book, I know I'm way over your head. And I apologize for that. I don't have time to tell you all these stories. But Moses came with this with his brother Aaron and they had this staff and the first miracle that they did in front of Pharaoh was throw that stick on the ground and it became a snake. Pharaoh called out his magicians and they threw their sticks down and they became snakes. And the, the first two or three miracles that God chose could be duplicated by these guys in their magic arts. Now, the word came to Pharaoh. His, his guys said, this is the finger of God. This is not some magic deal. But Pharaoh had already said, no, if I had better guys, they could do this too. You see that? That's how God hardened his heart. And Jesus reached out to Judas all the way through. But Judas was already stealing out of the bag. I don't know when he started doing that. But he was embezzling the ministry funds. Okay? 
I don't think that's going to happen at this church because we pay a lot of money to have these guys that are independent auditors come in and make us jump through a bunch of hoops that are a lot of hassle. And there's two people with the money every, I mean, you may not like where we spend it, but, but we're, we can tell you where we spend it. Every penny. And that's a good thing. That's what, that should be that way. But Judas was skimming, <laughs> you know, he, he had, he had better shoes than the rest of the guys because the whole deal was supporting him. He had more suit coats, which was their outer garment, than the rest of the guys. You hear that? You see that? You know, he was a thief. The Scripture calls him that. Jesus didn't make him do that. But he put him in that position because he knew what he was and what he was going to do and he walked it out. And so by the foreknowledge of God, he could, it could be predicted what he was going to do. And that's the way God predestines. So all you have to do is just make the right decisions. All you have to do is just say, God, I'm going to go with you. And I know what your will is. It's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I'm with you. So get rid of that predestined to be lost. Just get rid of that. I can beat you to a pulp with the Scripture if you believe the Scripture. Now, if you're going to stick with that, you, you'll have to say, no, yeah, but that doesn't count. That doesn't mean me. And, it's, and I'm going to, you're going to hear me say, what is it about the word all? You don't understand. But you're still going to have to stick with your deal if you condemn yourself to be eternally lost in the face of the grace of God reaching out to you through me and people everywhere. Okay, and I don't mean to be belligerent. I just get belligerent when we do that to the scripture. So stop that. Submit to it. Well, I'll have to live right. Well, think of that. Just think of that. Okay. Now, the time had fully come, and there were several things that were in place. The Greeks had conquered the world and then were conquered by the Romans because. As good soldiers as the Greeks were, the Romans were by far the best of that part of world history. And the Greeks gave a philosophical base to, to mankind, and they, uh, they had a pantheon. The Greeks had a pantheon of gods. Pantheon means all gods, sort of, uh, from the original language. And then the Romans had a similar pantheon. And both sets of them were really kind of tired of this because their gods were capricious and they, they didn't live right. Um, for us to tell you that you need to live like Jesus Christ, that's kind of scary. For them to live like a god was just, their gods were fleshly and they had affairs and they, they were mean and they just did bad things. Uh, you remember the Roman... Um, by the name of Pilate, who was whipping out this philosophical question, what is truth? You know, they, they were tired of this. The second thing that in the fullness of time had come into place was the universal language. The Greeks supplied the language, even though the Romans were vastly superior militarily and um, were pretty decent rulers in some ways. Uh, if, they, if they could have been pure in their hearts, they would have been their administration would have been pretty decent. It was always compromised by the corruption of the officials. But 
But the, the common language was the, was the Greeks used even more widely than Latin. And uh, the Romans, number three, enforced a peace. There were not robbers everywhere you went. There were, of course, criminals, but, but it, was, it was controlled. And uh, all of this was set up for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Romans built roads. And I, I, <clears throat> I took Latin in high school. And uh, I, I, we had about 20-some lines of Latin to English to translate every day, five days a week. Boy, that got old. But um, what do you expect when you enroll in Latin class? Anyway, uh, one of those lines was, the Romans build roads like a wall. And that meant that they would lay out where they wanted the road to go, and then they would dig down several feet and they would lay courses of, of the large stones and, and build up that wall in the ground up to, the, up to ground level so that when they put the paving stones on top of that, it had a foundation that was going to stay. There was a road uh, going south out of Rome in the time of Jesus that is still in use today called the Appian Way. And... Uh, they, they built these roads, and these roads uh, gave the ability to travel all over the world. Now, the Jews made contributions to this also, uh, to the setup for Jesus and the setup for the gospel. Uh, they had faith. They didn't have good, pure faith, most of them, but they believed in one true God. They did not have a, a pantheon. They were, they were what they ought to be with pure faith. Uh, monotheism, and they also had this, what is so cool, they had this messianic hope. It was mostly screwed up. You know, we've made a big deal out of, well, they wanted Jesus to come as a conqueror and throw out the Romans and all of that stuff, and that's true. They, but they wanted to find the Messiah, first of all, and, and those who began to get the message that they didn't have the full deal about the Messiah, all of these people... Uh, then could begin to see that Jesus. And so the Lord had this set up so that when Jesus came and did the will of the Father to the extent of expressing the character of God in healing people and in ministering and in teaching, and then receiving the sins of humankind of all ages, early and, and yet to come, and then rising from the dead, having been killed by those sins and its penalty... When he rose from the dead and those guys saw him alive again, and he said, you need to go tell this story, it was all set up. They had the language to do it. They had the roads to do it. They had the peace that would make it possible for them to go do that and so forth. The synagogues that the uh, Jews had set up around the world became the model for where you go and, and start with the gospel. You want to plant a church? Go to the synagogue. And that's what they did all over that part of the world and spread the gospel uh, powerfully, quickly, and mightily. So how does this affect us? I want to go back to that sermon that Paul preached in Acts the 17th chapter, and, and let me read you this. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul continues, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Do you know what repent is? Look at your, look at your system. Look at what God is saying. Turn from your system of operating in the flesh to operating in what God is providing in Christ Jesus. That's repentance. Turn. For he has said a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. If you don't believe any of this, you're in real trouble because Jesus rose from the dead. You say you can't prove it. Oh, yes, I can. I can prove it. If you can prove George Washington was the first president in the United States, I can prove that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not scientific. So you can't prove that scientifically. Science is irrelevant here. It's called the historical legal method. And Jesus can be proven to have risen from the dead just like George Washington can be proven to be the first president of the United States. You use current witnesses, current in that era. And the people who saw George Washington can say, yep, and they write about it, and we believe their stuff, and the people that saw Jesus die and rise from the dead wrote about it, and we can say, yep, yep. It's the same system. Um, books have been written about that, that that really do appeal to the logical mind and the mind that needs proof. There is just ample proof. It's, it's not some blind thing. If you think that's blind, try proving evolution. That's really scary. Because we don't have any witnesses. You say, well, the, the fossil record. Um, and the fossil record tells you what? There were some, some people and some animals that lived a long time ago, and they died, and their bones are still around. That's, that's what the fossil record tells you. And so if, if you can believe evolution, let me tell you, you're going to make an incredible Christian because you've got faith over, you've got more faith than I do. I looked at evolution when I didn't know whether there was a God or not. I looked at evolution and I said, nope, my mind does not stretch that far. And I had to believe in a creator of some kind. I didn't know whether there was a fog over on the edge of the universe that made things I didn't know, but I, I knew that I did not evolve from one cell. And besides, where'd that one cell come from? Well, it came from the stew here. Where'd the stew come from? Well, it came from this earth that exploded in the Big Bang. Well, where'd the Big Bang come from? You know, it's just, just go on back. You've got to have a beginning. You say, I'm good enough without a beginning. Ah, that's that faith I'm talking about. Put that in Jesus Christ, and you will be the faith leader among us. We need you because you can believe stuff that the rest of us really can't. Now, what are we about? Well, God is doing his thing up here. We believe that we are probably very near the end of this era in the, this time capsule that I keep referring to. We're about to see the wrap-up of 
of things as we know it and the revelation of the Antichrist and of the uh, Christ that rescues the earth, restores all things and rules and reigns out of Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem. We think we're right there. Now, what are we going to do about this? Well, the scripture says that it matters what you believe. We have a, we have a culture that is full of this. Um, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. I remember the first time I heard that. It was like in 1959. And I said to myself, What? And this person just looked at me with this great smile and said, as if they were just delighted that I was so sincere. And I said, well, what do you believe? Well, I think if I keep the Ten Commandments. And it's like Jesus came and fulfilled that. So if, if you can get this Jesus that I'm all excited about, you'll have that plus you'll have eternal life in you, plus you'll have the ability to live above sin. It's not sin. I'm not talking about sinless perfectionism, but I'm talking about deliverance from the bondage of sin. Don't be in bondage to sin, okay? Young people, this is really, really important. Don't accept the lie that says it really doesn't matter how you live. God loves, God loves you, and it's all going to be okay. And he's a Santa Claus, and he will, he will bring you gifts even when you're not good like Santa. You get that? And you that are not so young people, don't, don't believe that it doesn't matter. It matters that we come and lay down our life as a matter of fact, to do what God calls you to do, you're going to have to follow this Jesus person. And he said, if you are going to follow me, you're going to have to hate your own life. You're going to have to die to yourself. And then you can follow me. So it's not small stuff. If you think oh, this Christianity stuff is for a bunch of sissies, uh, it's probably tougher than you can do. You can, get, you can do it with God's help. He'll walk it out through you, but it's tough, and it's eternal life. So welcome, what shall we say? Welcome to the, to the um, electric chair. We're going to kill you. Welcome to the guillotine. We're going to cut your head off. Welcome to the cross. We're going to crucify you. Uh, welcome to the hangman's platform. We're going to hang you and break your neck. We die to our stuff. You cannot live to your stuff and be successful in God's kingdom. You can't do it. You're going to have to lay it aside. You say, whoa, that's not much of a sales pitch. Let me tell you that it, it, the road is narrow. Jesus said it's a narrow gate and it's a narrow way that leads to eternal life. It's a wide gate and a wide way that leads to to destruction. And so I call you today 
to renew the idea that you're going to have to die. And then I want to I bring one thing more out. And that is all this stuff that Jesus came and did in the fullness of time. He conquered sin. He, he took the beating for disease. He took the death for everything that's ever been committed as far as sin is concerned. And he rose from the dead. And now everything we need is provided. Merry Christmas. Honey, this is the, this is the largest thing that you could ever, ever be trying to comprehend. Merry Christmas. God has given it all. It will cost you yourself. I just made that point. But you, get, you, you, get your, <laughs> you take your little stuff. You can take your net worth. Every once in a while they say, you need to, you need to redo your, your net worth sheet. So two or three times through the years, well, I put, if we had any equity and, and any savings, and things, put that on page. And, so he, and it's like, oh, my goodness. I lived my whole life, and this is what I'm worth? Um, well, if it, if it were ten times that or a hundred times that or a thousand times that or a million times that, it would still just be this little tiny deal, and that's what it costs you. It's just take everything, not just the money, just hold you. Matter of fact, you don't have to worry about the money. If you give yourself to the Lord, your pocketbook comes along. I told you about the guy standing in a baptismal waters, and the pastor was saying, now, you know that we're about to baptize you, and everything that goes under the water belongs to God. Next frame in that, you see this hand sticking up, you know, about that far, just like that, with that wallet in it. I'm not going to give my wallet to God. Well, if, then you, the wallet owns you. God doesn't own you. And it is so great, church. Let me tell you, who is sick? We're talking about this. We have all this illness. And, and we've gotten some good reports. I don't, I don't want to cast a cloud over us, but we've, we've got all these people that need our touch and we need to just go heal them who is who is bound by um emotional problems we need to we need to lead them into the health and the liberty of christ jesus who is bound let's say let's say chemical addiction do we have the do we have the deliverance does anybody have it who has it? No, seriously. Does anyone have it? You know, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Does anyone have hope for the person who has been absolutely abused? There's so much talk now about uh, sex trafficking of little people, young people, barely teenage people, some of them. Uh, awful stories come out. Does anybody have healing and help for those victims? And for those people that we think are awful people who victimize them. Does anybody have any help? Should we just kill them? What should we do with them? Jesus was killed for them, if you really want the full story. So who has this help? 
Okay, that was a setup. That was a trick question. You know that. Because those of us who have been born again have the Holy Spirit living in us. And especially if we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, everything we need is here. I want you to begin to visualize that. I want you to begin to see somebody that's bound. And there's certain gifts I don't think I have, so it's like I, I could pick one of those as a really hard one. I'm not going to expose my, <laughs> or I think I'm weak uh, today. Give me time, I will. But um, we say, okay, that that need, I, I don't know, we need to send them somewhere. Well, the thing is, we're going to send them to someone who is like we in the sense that they were sinners. They're saved by Jesus Christ. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the power of God is just in us to fix them. So fix them. Now, this is not a new message. We've talked about this since the world discovered Christianity. And I remember the story in the book of Acts about Paul working in the, in the city of Ephesus to help establish a church, and he was doing his, his avocation, which was making tents. And people would come in and steal his work aprons and his, his face wipes and take them over, and they'd put them on somebody who was demonized, and the demons would come out. Or they'd take them to someone who was really, really ill, and they'd be made instantly healthy and whole. That is the kind of power. You say, well, that was the Apostle Paul. Yes, it was. And uh, if we never do that, I'm okay with that. The only thing is, I want the fullness of Jesus Christ out of me. I want it out of you. I don't want there to come up some problem in our life. We say, I can't do it. I, I, this is going to take me out. Nothing is going to take us out. It can't. Because Jesus has supplied it all. Jesus has supplied it all. Let's pray together. Father, would you, by the power of your spirit, Call us in a new way. Call us. Lord, it's Christmas, and that's what Christmas was about, that we might have eternal life, and that eternal life might be in us, and it might flow out of us like a river of living water to heal and save and quench the thirst.